So the reading this evening is from John 16, verses 7 to 15. Yes, it is 7. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own, he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will, will receive from me what he will make known to you. I've reached this age. <laughs> Some of you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I hate it, but it's life. Is that no? I um, <laughs> and maybe that's why I'm not a youth minister anymore. I gotta do this. Uh, oh no, um, <clears throat> no. The uh, I text message a friend of mine who has a PhD in New Testament. He's teaching. He's a professor in the in the U.S. I said I got this really hard passage that I'm supposed to preach on. What are your thoughts? And he goes, man, I don't know if I understand that one. <laughs> I don't know if I really understand that one. Uh, albeit it was a very short exchange. I'm sure he could have uh, come up with something. Uh, he's a very bright bunny. But uh, no, um, you know, truth, you know, we live in a world where truth is highly contested. Disinformation, fake news, conspiracy theories. I don't know about you, but I had really good friends of mine. I mean, people I was close to posting like, you know, during COVID, there was some stuff that people was deba debating. There was like sort of mainstream debates, even within, you know. But then there was stuff like that was way out there. And I had friends of mine posting stuff that was just insane. And you're like, wait a second, what is happening? Is the world going crazy? And, you know, then we look around the world, and it seems like people, there are people in influence who don't seem to care about truth that much. And um, there are people who've risen in, I mean, you know, I'm American, you know, classic example here in the last four or five years. Um, but, you know, a situation where um, personal integrity and moral authority in their personal lives have made a huge difference in the public sphere. So often we want to like bifurcate, we want to say, oh, this is just me personally, this is just my own little life. This is what I'm doing in my private sphere. But then I have my public persona. But, but we saw in such blatant terms, and not just, you know, not just in America, but around the world, there's a variety of leaders that lack moral authority in their personal lives. And it's, it's caused problems as we've tried to make public policy. So it's a really interesting thing as you look, even if, you know, maybe we agree with their policies, maybe we disagree with their policies, but because the people sometimes lack moral authority, and because truth and integrity are missing, it makes things fraught and difficult, even at the public level. Um, 
so we're talking about truth. We're talking about truth, and, we're, and we desperately want to know the truth. We want to live in truth because truth matters. We want to live our lives according to the truth. So today is we're, we're going to be exploring this passage, and it's a bit of a difficult passage, but I hope by the end of it, there are a couple things I hope that, uh, that I'm hoping to speak to. One is, if, um, if you're a person who needs the truth to be told about something, if somehow you're in a situation where you feel like somehow lies have been told, and, and you just would love vindication, you'd love God to, to fight for you or speak up for you, or you'd love something to happen, um, I want to speak to you. I hope that you find encouragement. Um, the, second, the, the second thing I might want to speak to is maybe you need to face some truth. Maybe you live in your life doing some stuff, living your life, having your relationships, and you've been in a bit of denial or you've been avoiding conflict or there's some issues, but the truth is actually you need to face the truth. And maybe you're afraid of the truth. Maybe you feel like it'll overwhelm you, it'll crush you. But I, I hope that you're encouraged tonight to step into the truth, to grab hold of the truth. And, the, and maybe the truth can set you free. And the last, the last situation I'm hoping to speak into is um, maybe you're a person who's looking for truth. You maybe have been kind of on a journey and you wonder, like, well, you know, I'd love to find out what's, you know, what's real, what's ultimately real, what's, what's the truth about life, what's, you know, what is the truth? And I hope that maybe this talk can can talk to you, uh, can speak to you into, into your life as well. And of course, as we're talking about truth, I think we all kind of know what we mean when we talk about truth. We're talking about words or propositions that correspond to reality, to things as they really are. I mean, truth and reality go together. It's, it's truth is the way we speak about reality, and hopefully it corresponds to reality. It connects to reality. And because God is what we as Christians believe is ultimately real, we believe that there's this dimension that when we speak about truth and reality, it's actually rooted in, inside of a person. In fact, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And so it's, a, it's, this, really, it's this really interesting thing that, uh, that we see within the life of Jesus and within his teaching that he, co- he really brings truth into connection to relationships and connection to love and in connection to grace. So as we start exploring this topic of, of truth, and, this, and it's a really important thing, um, yeah, I hope you can find some encouragement here. And as, so as we dig into this passage, the first thing we see is that, is that Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, hey, you should be glad that I'm leaving because I'm going to send the Spirit to you. And this is really interesting because I think a lot of us really wish that we could have met the real Jesus, you know, the Jesus on earth. You know what I mean? Like the physical Jesus. We feel like that Jesus is more real. Like the, the physical Jesus Wow, that would have been cool because then we could have met the real Jesus. But that's a sort of, maybe it's a sort of, uh, um, maybe the word I would say is we have a, a sort of bias against spiritual realities. I was reading Out of the Silent Planet, which is one of C.S. Lewis' uh, space trilogy, a really interesting book. And he says that actually the spiritual world is actually probably more real than our physical world. So that when Jesus walks through walls or spirits go through things and do stuff, it's not because they're less real. It's like us walking through smoke or us walking through a fog. It's like we're more substantial. So God is super substantial. He's, he's super real. And so in some ways he can like penetrate the physical world and penetrate our hearts in ways that uh, because he is in some ways, as real as this is, which it is real, he's even more deeply real in a certain sense. And so his spirit, when he said he was going away, 
he said, you know, I'm not just going to be kind of located in one situation where people kind of look to me. I am going to dwell in your hearts. I'm going to fill you. I'm going to walk near to you. In some sense, this is the, the Holy Spirit's called the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus. And in some sense, at that point, Jesus was God with us, walking with us. But um, in some sense, the Holy Spirit became Emmanuel. He became God indwelling our hearts. And it's not less real than the physical Jesus. It's actually more real than the physical Jesus. You can talk to him. You can call out to him. You can spend time with him. You can draw near to him. And it's interesting, in this passage, he gives, him, he gives this uh, manifestation of the Spirit. He calls him the, the, uh, the advocate or the helper or the comforter. And this word is parakletos. There's a lot of different ways of translating it. It comes from the word, uh, the verb is paraklesis, which, uh, parakleo, which is kaleo, to encourage, to come alongside, to help somebody out. And so then the word kind of means somebody who comes next to you and really helps you and really encourages you and really helps you out. And it and ended up having like a sort of legal definition of somebody who was like your lawyer or your advocate, someone who's going to fight for you. Isn't that lovely? Like this idea. So when people would think of this word, they would actually have this sort of idea of somebody coming, coming to your corner and kind of really advocating for you. And sometimes in life, we need someone to be on our side. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like, man, I'm in my corner alone? I'm in my corner alone. And like, is anybody with him? God is with you. He is with you. As you pray and you seek him and you call on him, and he, he is listening to your prayers. And when you call him, he's fighting for you. And sometimes he's changing you. Sometimes he's changing your circumstances. Sometimes he's doing both. But he is fighting for you. He is on your side. He is working with you. And he, uh, but one of the things he does, does is he speaks truth to us. The Holy, so he comes along and he's sort of re, uh, advocating for you. He's working for you. But he's also speaking truth to you. That's what it says in this passage. He's going to speak truth to us. Now, Jesus was talking to his disciples. He was about to die. He was about to die on the cross. This is one of his last conversations with him before he goes to the cross. So he's speaking very specifically to his group of sort of chosen apostles and followers. And he says, and he says in a couple different spots during these conversations that he's going to give them, give them truth. And he's going to, I'm going to remind you of things and I'm going to lead you into all truth. Now, obviously, he wasn't like teaching them about like, you know, the theory of relativity or something like that. He was like, meaning like the, the sort of sufficient things of Scripture, the things that have to do with salvation, with, a, with God, with having a relationship with God. And he was going to give them what they needed to know. And he says, look, there's parts of this story that you're not ready for yet. You know, the, he's going to die, he's going to rise, the church is going to come. There's going to be some situations. He said, I'm going to lead you. I'm going to guide you. You're going to spend time with me. Now, the apostles, it's really interesting. One of the reasons... The apostles, in some sense, don't. Uh, the reason we trust the apostles and their teaching is that they were in this privileged position that they were the ones who lived with Jesus. Just no one else after that has lived and been eyewitnesses of Jesus. Those first century Christians had a very privileged position. And so they handed down Jesus' teaching to us. And they, and they understood the heart and the nature of his teachings and were able to interpret for us in a way that those of us who've come later, sure, we can have the Spirit of God and sure, we can read stuff. But the, that apostolic teaching has an authority there that just doesn't exist for other people because they just didn't live that close to him. But the nice thing about it is not only were they the ones nearest to him, and the ones who could hear him out. Um, not only that, Jesus said, my spirit's going to be involved in the process. 
My spirit's going to be involved in the process. When you're, as, you, as the apostles are writing this stuff down and as they're working on stuff and they're deciding whether Gentiles could enter the church and whether the church was going to be multiracial and multi-ethnic and they're like, they're working through this. They're like, of course, absolutely, this is for all people. You know, they work through a number of different issues. And, um, and, and he said that God was going to guide them. And there's something comforting about, about that. So, um, the other thing that we see here, and it's a very obvious thing, is that it's Jesus' spirit. And so, again, truth is a, um, truth is something that the Gospel of John talks a lot about, and Jesus talks a lot about in the Gospel of John. And so, there, it's good, again, as we're thinking about truth, to think about how John frames it, which is, um, Jesus came from the Father full of grace and truth. Jesus connects grace and truth. He tells us truth will set us free. Jesus tells us that he himself is the way, the truth, and the life. He, um, so truth is love. Truth is grace. Truth is personal. Truth is healing. Truth is freeing. Oftentimes, especially those of us who spend any time on social media, me guilty, I'm here, uh, we want to see truth as a cudgel to win arguments or some sort of instrument of control. If we can just get the facts on our side, we can make people do what we want, right? But actually, this isn't the way it works. It's not a cudgel for control. It's not some sort of instrument of power. It's a way, it's not a way to win. It's a way, the truth is something that's designed to free us. It's designed to bring healing to us. It's designed to bring reconciliation. It's designed to bring humility. It's designed to draw people nearer. It's designed to lead us to Jesus. It's designed to lead us to God. Truth and grace are intertwined. And that doesn't, so that doesn't mean we believe things just because they make us feel good. But we can trust that truth will bring us life. Sometimes I think as we read scripture and we do things, sometimes we're like, oh, I don't like this bit or that bit's so hard because I think we deep down we don't trust that God's word are speaking life to us. But the Bible and scripture and the apostolic teaching and Jesus' teachings, the, Je the teachings of Christ handed down to us, we got to trust and we got to say, if we don't see the good news sometimes, Sometimes I heard this uh, an interesting sermon from Tim Keller lately, like maybe we haven't completely understood it. Maybe we need to dig deeper if it's seeming to rub against us and our sensibilities. Maybe we need to just dig deeper into it. But, the spirit, but Jesus' teaching will bring us life. But there are times that we need to do more work, make sure we understand it. Maybe we've misunderstood it or the context. But there are other times when it does, when the truth bumps up against our cultural sensibilities. And if God is God and he's the God of the universe, it's going to rub up against our, our sort of modern sensibilities at times, I believe. Every culture on earth is going to have places that's going to rub up against the truth of Jesus, right? And at that point, sometimes we have to bend our knee and say, Jesus, we trust you. And we got to trust that what you do can bring us life. And again, it's just as we look at Jesus, he says... Uh, what I've heard from the Father, I'm going to share with you, and what I'm going to share with this, and then I'm going to share what I have with the Spirit, and with the Spirit, He's going to share that with you. We're invited into this sort of relationship, this conversation of speaking truth to the world. Now, so the first thing is, again, we see, again, that as we're looking at Jesus in this passage, the first is 
that he's this advocate, he's this helper, he's this one that comes along inside and he speaks truth into our lives. But there's a second thing we see in this passage. And in this passage, we see that God has a deep love and concern for the world. Now, he says he's going to convince the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And like, this just sounds like, whoa, this is like old school, fire breathing, like, you know what I mean? Like fire and brimstone, like preaching, you know. But let, again, I want to just, just what I was just talking about, where is the life that God wants to speak? What is the truth, the life-giving, freeing truth in these words? And as we look at them, what, what is God saying to us? It says, the Holy Spirit, when it comes to a relationship with the world, will convince the world of sin. That word convict or prove to be wrong, whatever, it's a kind of a tricky word. I actually think the word, I think convince is a good translation of that word. He's going to convince the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. He convinces the world of sin. Sin is the destructive, selfish, and prideful impulse or impulses and actions by which we destroy our lives, destroy our relationships with other people, destroy relationship with God, and even destroy nature. Lying, anger, pride, selfishness, appetites and lusts that are out of control, greed, ambition, bitterness, unforgiveness, the centering of ourselves and our ambitions or our pleasures over anything God might have. Sin is toxic and destructive in our lives and the lives of others. And when God convicts us of these things, it's because he loves us. He cares for us. When he says, you need to stop that. When he convicts you and me of sin in our lives, it's not because he hates us. It's because he loves us. And he wants to draw us close to, you, uh, us close to himself. Hey, you're doing this in your relationship. It's going to cause a destruction. You keep talking that way about a person. You need to stop that. It's ruining yourself and it's ruining that other person. You need to forgive. You need to forgive. You need to let it go and forgive. There is freedom in forgiveness. You've got an anger issue. Maybe you need to see a counselor. God convicts us of sin. It says he's going to... Convince the world in regard to justice. And again, uh, and usually this is translated righteousness, which is a very Bible-y word, and I chose the word justice on purpose because this is actually, in some ways, I think actually a better translation of it, but in Greek, the word doesn't separate between private and public justice, personal and public justice. And so again, uh, there's the sort of social justice bit, but there's also the personal integrity bit. And, and, and we need, he was... He, God wants to convince us that we need to not only have public morality and social justice. Man, activism is an easy way to virtue. Send out a few tweets, like the right things, hate the right people, like the right causes, and man, you feel pretty virtuous. You don't have to worry about like your anger issue or if you're selfish or petty with somebody else. It's like an easy path to virtue, right? But like God wants to pull both of those things together. And he wants us to be kind and loving and faithful and forgiving, and gracious, and brave, and courageous, and working for things that matter, like confronting sin, or uh, slavery, or, uh, you know, modern-day things that need racism, or other things that need to be confronted. He says he's going to convince the world in regard to judgment. And this is a, 
reality and truth will one day win. And that is one of the hopes of the world is that God will one day do justice. Justice will win. Jesus taught us that one day there would be a judgment. And on that day, everything will be seen for what it really is. Those who persevered and toiled in obscurity to do good will be recognized. People who are like volunteering and no one ever said a kind word to them or they just served faithfully or they gave up their ambitions and dreams or whatever and they went and worked somewhere to do good or they made certain sacrifices that no one ever knew about. All those things will be seen on that day. The little kindnesses, all the things that were done to serve the world and bring about the kingdom of God. It will be seen for what it is, but of course there's a reverse side of that. Is that everything will be seen for what it is. And that's both a comforting thought and that can be a challenging thought, a convicting thought. There's going to be no place to hide, no spinning, no waiting out the news cycle to survive another day. And so this is kind of a jarring, this is a jarring thing. And God says there will be judgment about these things. These things will be seen for what they are. But the beautiful thing is that as seriously as God, God takes sin so seriously that he's given us the cross. And let's go to the next slide. See, this is where the message of Jesus always comes back. The spirit of truth always leads us back to Jesus. At the cross, the truth can be told about our failures, our weaknesses, and our world because God is big enough to handle it. He can bring healing. He can bring wholeness. He can bring reconciliation. He can bring forgiveness. And the cross tells us that wickedness and sin are bad. It is bad. Like, no big deal. Like, sometimes people say, oh, no big deal. No big deal is no big deal. Sometimes we have to say, you hurt me. That was awful. There's some things people cannot make up to you. They're bad. The cross took care of it. God judged it on the cross. God took care of it on the cross. Sin is dealt with as sin and as something. Evil is exposed as evil. But it's not the final word, of course, because there's a resurrection. See, the Spirit always glorifies Jesus. That's what I, I think it's actually the next verse in, uh, maybe it's 16. Jesus is full of grace and truth. He sets free. He brings life abundant. He brings forgiveness. Truth is a person. God is a person. It's a personal reality to be encountered. And so I don't know where you are today. Sometimes we're longing for some sort of justification or vindication, some sort of situation where it's deeply unjust and there's been lies told about us, and we just want someone to tell the truth. And we need to look to Jesus and call on him. And again, sometimes he works in these situations. I've seen him work, and he brings about the truth. Um, Other times, we have to humble ourselves and just trust that God is working in the bigger picture and choose to be forgiving and loving and choose to lift up the cross, that in the cross, God has dealt with some of these injustices. And we have to choose to forgive and offer grace, even if it's not fair. We need to give it to Jesus. Sometimes we're running from the truth. So in my family, uh, our, uh, I don't know if, I think I've shared this at different points, some people know this, but our family went, my family went through some struggles. And uh, there was, um, 
there were anger issues in the home, and there was just conflict. Over. My people, my, my parents loved Jesus. They were really nice people, but they just had some issues, you know, from their past, and there was a lot of anger. There were a lot of problems, and they saw like five or six different marriage counselors trying to get help, and it just wasn't working, and, and, uh, and uh, one of the reasons I really, really, really respect my dad is there was a point in their marriage where my dad looked in the mirror, and he said, is it me? And he was willing to change. I respect my dad. He's a wise guy in a lot of different ways. But there was a point in his life where he looked in the mirror and he said, is it me? Am I the one who needs to change? And I think sometimes we're always angry about a lot of different things in life. And sometimes God wants to convict you of truth. And maybe you need to look in the mirror and he's doing it because he loves you. You know what? Because my dad was willing to get help, to get counsel, and to admit that he was doing wrong and that he was getting things wrong, the rest of the family has found healing. My sister, me, my mom, and actually loads of people that my parents have been able to chat to and share their story with. My parents have done a lot of different things. But to me, that is one of the greatest gifts that my dad ever gave to our family. And sometimes our pride or our anger, there are a lot of different things that can go on in our lives. But humility and the willingness to repent and change and own our flaws and to be willing to get, see a counselor, to get help, can be life-transforming, not just for you, but for your children and your friends and the people around you. Here's the last point here. Maybe you've been looking for truth. And what I want to say to you is actually truth has been looking for you. Jesus loves you. And truth is located in a person. And it's located because truth is located in ultimate reality. And, and I believe, as Christians, we teach that ultimate reality isn't a thing. It's a person. And it's a person who loves you. And, and so maybe tonight... You're struggling with a situation in which you feel unjust and you need an advocate and you need to call on Jesus and you need to say, Lord, I need you to fight for me in some way. I can't do this. I cannot do this. Or maybe a person God is convicting that you need to look in the mirror. Or number three, maybe you're a person who's been looking for truth and at some level tonight, maybe God isn't speaking to you and said, hey, here, and he's saying, here I am. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. I want to offer life to you. And tonight, maybe tonight, tonight, where you can take that hand and take that step for him. I'm going to hand this off to you, Libby. Mm. Mm.